It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. Guys, I am I'm very excited about this particular uh, episode. Uh, this uh, is one of the most extraordinary stories, and you'll understand as I go into it. It so typifies something. I mean, it's very hard. I'm dealing with one of the most exceptional lives in the past couple hundred years, but I could even say possibly in the past 500 years, an exceptional life. And it doesn't mean in every area uh, I want you to model uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Sort of like when I was teaching on World War II and I kept bringing up Winston Churchill. I said, you don't need to look like him, nor do you need to smoke a cigar uh, or drink brandy uh, to be a man of that caliber. I mean, there's some qualities that you're like, okay, what do we do with that? (laughs) The same is true with Teddy Roosevelt. And so he's not the model. Jesus is our model. And yet there are certain qualities that sometimes if we drive them to the surface, it becomes almost more tangible than me just quoting a scripture for you to actually demonstrate for you something and go, okay, I've never seen that before. My life was changed by Jesus, but Jesus was going to, is going to use different men in and through history to put flesh on it for me practically. And then when I go back to study Jesus, I see it more clearly. And so, for instance, William Wallace in the book, The Scottish Chiefs, was a big break point in my life where I could actually comprehend something. I never understood Jesus as a man until I went through and encountered William Wallace. And Jane Porter in the book, The Scottish Chiefs, it's written in the Romantic era, and it's, it is a little larger than life. I'm uh, prepare you for that if you ever read it. But Wallace is portrayed as a Christ figure. And he's an extraordinary man. In fact, so extraordinary that when you read a book, typically you're going to identify with the protagonist. That's what the author will typically do is help you identify and get into the shoes of the protagonist. In that book, you can't get in the shoes of the protagonist. He's beyond you. And so you have to find a lower level creature in the book to identify with, which for me was Edwin. And so I I want to be like Edwin because Edwin just, looks at Wallace like I do. He's like, whoa, who is this guy? But what I saw in that was something that I could not mimic, but something that I craved. I desire those qualities inside of me. It started something. This is part seven. It's called shooting a bull moose. Now there's a lot to this story and there's a lot to his life. I mean, I am literally skipping his entire two terms of presidency. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to go back, okay, because I am going to go back in time. This has been chronological up to this point, and now I'm going to violate some rules because I'm actually just showing some key moments in his life in this particular four-part series on this night that we're going and doing four sessions. But shooting a bull moose, if you've never heard this story, this is going to literally just shock you. Now, the reason many of us don't know about this story is because... You know, with McKinley, some of you didn't even know about William McKinley's death. You know he may have been assassinated, but you know nothing about the assassination. Part of it has to do with how far back in time it is. I don't know what it is. Once you get to about 100 years, everything starts to blur over. And so we know the Kennedy assassination, that's a violation of that, right? There are certain moments in American history that still stand out, but there's others that just get buried. I I don't know how that works. This is one of those stories 
that just gets buried. And I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe it's just because of the extravagance of, of Roosevelt's life in general. It's just like not everything can stand out. It's just he had too many moments. But let's go into it. I'm, going to, I'm struggling to know how to describe it, but I'm calling it a winning attitude. It's probably not the best uh, term for it. But it's an attitude issue. And when we talk about Roosevelt, which we just did in the, in the previous session, which was episode six, where he stared down the difficulties, stared them down, sort of like, I'm not intimidated by you. I'm going to try and describe that as the winning attitude, okay, where you defy every single obstacle. Something is attempting to curb what you are commissioned to do. Something is attempting to discourage you from the path that you are called to walk. Something is saying, don't do it. This horrible thing could happen to you. And you have to make a decision inside of if you receive that and let it soak in like a sponge or if you repel it. And that difference of soul makes the difference of everything in the health of your Christian life. Because if you were a victim, a victim allows everything to soak in. But a victor repels the difficulty, refuses to be defined by it, will not allow that to stop. And it's an attitude. And so I'm calling it the winning attitude. Paul is going to use the word freneo all throughout the book of Philippians. And it's basically the theme of the book. Paul is in prison and yet he's rejoicing. His entire mentality is one of triumph. And he's in one of the translations is going to use like have this attitude in you. Another one is going to say, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's an attitude. It's a thought process. It's the way you appropriate life. It's like glasses that you stick on and they color your life a certain way. Teddy Roosevelt, with all of his imperfections too, is going to have certain qualities that are so standout-ish that they startle you. And this is one of them, guys. He is going to stare down every single obstacle and laugh at it, mock it. So this is a, a question Leslie asked me. She's in the audience and she's like, I don't remember saying that. But there was a certain time period, and this is in a critical juncture of our life. I'll call it the wrestling prayer season where we're going to write the book wrestling prayer. And so I'm thinking that was 2007. Leslie may be able to correct me on that. It's somewhere in that zone. Every time you put a date up, it's dangerous because it could be wrong. But it's in that time period. So, you know, we're going back quite a few years. And God is going to teach me this exact truth in that time period. And that is that I am a child of Jehovah God. The enemy is defeated. I know these are obvious statements, right? Therefore, I have authority over him. And I will not be bullied anymore. I know. And so I started saying something and I would mutter it and my head would at the first, you know, for the first, I don't know, probably year, would actually make a jerking motion. Every time I'd say it, I'd say no. The enemy would present a thought, I'd go no. It was my way of hitting the thought. It's like with my head. I learned how to not do that because that was, looked like a tick. Uh, but for this whole season, I mean, the enemy would come in, no, 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 no. And I learned to not be a sponge. No longer am I going to be defined by the enemy's business, by his agenda. No longer is Eric's soul sponge-like. Eric's soul is going to reject what the enemy is trying to do. No, was my answer. So Leslie's quote, what are you saying? 
All I say is no, that's my answer. All I said was no. And so it's like, there must be some way that you're saying it. Yeah, it was the way I was saying it, is I'm saying it with faith. I know that this shield of faith repels all the fiery darts of the evil one. That's my secret, guys. I know it repels them. Some of us know that the shield of faith does repel it, but we don't know that our shield of faith that we're holding repels it. You need to know that the shield of faith repels all the fiery darts of the evil one. The power of no. The immediate reaction to the damper pedal. When the enemy comes in to try and dampen your life. And by the way, I need to hear this message because I feel like in a strange way, now that I'm, I just turned 53, I have a fresh movement against my life to say, I think you're past your prime. Now, what's funny is the enemy's already tried this on me. I think it happened at the age of 30. Then it happened again at the age of like 38. Then it happened when we started Ellerslie, which is the year 40. I had a huge movement against me saying, Eric, you're expired goods. Shut up. So here I'm at 53. Do you think I should be shocked that the enemy's doing a fresh movement? But it's just, what's weird is I feel it now different. It's like my body just is more lumbrous. It's not as fit easily. It easily gets out of shape. It's really frustrating, right? And so it makes more sense that I'm expiring <laughs> because I'm actually feeling, whereas when I was younger, it's like, no, I, I have plenty of energy. Yeah, but now my body actually feels like it'd be better to let young guys deal with these things. And maybe I should think of retirement. Now, I, I'm not actually seriously processing these things. I'm saying this is the bait to Eric Ludi, is that Eric, you can't keep that pace up. And so the power of no, what does Eric need to practice right now in this season of my life? No, I know what I'm called to and I'm gonna finish with my running shoes on. I'm not taking them off. There's no such thing as retirement for Eric Ludi. So we're gonna go and visit the Milwaukee Auditorium, October 14th, 1912. Now, many of us have never been there. We have no clue what happened there and that's why I'm going to bring you into the moment. Teddy Roosevelt is going to step up onto the stage. And he is going to be presenting a speech. And this is the first words to the speech. Teddy Roosevelt said, friends, I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible. I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot. How do you think, <laughs> being in the audience in that moment, what that would have translated like? He then proceeded to open up his shirt and show his bloodied undershirt. So I'm gonna give you the background of what's gonna to lead to this moment, and then I'll give you a little more of the speech. I mean, this is, this is extraordinary, guys. It's truly extraordinary. So at around 8 p.m. that evening, this is a late speech, Roosevelt entered his open-air automobile outside of the Gilpatrick Hotel in Milwaukee. He stood up in the vehicle to wave his hat with his right hand at the applauding, cheering crowd. The flash of a Colt revolver went off from five feet away. He had been shot in the chest. Okay, I'm gonna emphasize something. From five feet away, he is going to be shot. In the chest. The cheering crowd suddenly turned into an angry mob wanting to kill John Schrank, who was the shooter. So an eyewitness is gonna say this. The coolest and least excited of anyone in the frenzied mob was Mr. Roosevelt. Listen to this statement from Teddy. Don't hurt him. Bring him here. I wanna see him. After a tussle, John Schrank was placed in front of the wounded Roosevelt. Why did you do it? That's what he said. Now, John Schrank didn't answer anything and they took him away. But 
that is literally how Teddy Roosevelt, talk about wearing a sweater vest in the middle of a crisis. He is going to say, don't hurt him. Bring him in front of me. I want to know. Did, is, there some, is it a political issue? What, what, what was this? I mean, what caused this? I need to know because I can correct it if I need to. He's just been shot in the chest. Teddy placed his hand inside his coat and felt to see if he had been shot. He felt a dime-sized hole in his chest. He coughed three times to see if any blood came out. Since none came, he concluded it hadn't penetrated his lungs. His aides begged him to go to the hospital, but he would have none of it. He came to Milwaukee to give a speech. Teddy Roosevelt, great quote here, guys. You get me to that speech. The guy has just been shot from five feet away. Get me to that speech. He knows it didn't penetrate his lungs. Otherwise, he'd be coughing up blood, right? He's fine. He's fine. So we're going to return to the Milwaukee Auditorium, October 14th, 1912. Now, you already heard the first line, okay? I've been shot. Teddy Roosevelt, famous second line, guys. It takes more than that to kill a bull moose. Okay, now this, this line, if you could... Put this in your spiritual life, guys. It's, it's Nehemiah when he's threatened with Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem the Arabian. Remember all the terrible, they're going to get you. They're going to harm you. Our armies are coming. Flee to the temple is what they say. And this is what Nehemiah says. Should such a man as I flee? Don't you know that I serve Jehovah? Should such a man as I flee and cower in such a moment? I have a speech to give. Get me to that speech. It takes more than that to kill a bull moose. You see, there's a lot that is going to come against our lives. And for most of us, it doesn't take much but a little flick of the enemy's finger and we're laying on our back paralyzed. And by the way, if we need to go back in the life of Eric Ludi, and I can show you that it, back in the day, it wasn't much that it took to take me out. I had an extreme problem with anxiety when Leslie and I were first married. I didn't know it until we packed up our vehicle and tried to make it out to Colorado. And I, we left my grill on the back porch. I already filled up the rider truck and I ended up on the ground paralyzed with anxiety. I mean, it was embarrassing, guys. It, all I'm saying is it doesn't take much to knock some of us out. And it didn't take much for me in the first eight years of our ministry to be knocked out. There were many times I'd be back in the green room before I was gonna go out and speak and I could hardly breathe. And yes, I look back at those days and I'm rather <clears throat> disappointed because it doesn't translate as well as this story does. However, there is going to be an awakening in the life of Eric Ludi to the point where I'm going to realize that I am not the plaything of the enemy and that I have a calling on my life, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I carry the authority of Jesus Christ in this natural realm. Watch out, devil! And when that happens, everything changes. And so when I read this story, even though I've never gone through this, I understand this moment. I actually do. Even though I've never been in that exact moment, I have been in moments where Eric should go to, quote-unquote, the hospital. Eric should just let it go. And those are the crowded hour moments. This is a moment that is going to define Teddy Roosevelt, in my mind, almost more than any other. So he removed his speech from his coat pocket and showed the bullet hole through it. 
It is likely that his thick overcoat, his steel-reinforced glasses case, and his unusually verbose speech saved his life. Here's what Teddy said. Fortunately, I had my manuscript, so you see I was going to make a long speech. And there is a bullet. This is where the bullet went through, and it probably saved me from it going into my heart. The bullet is now in me, so I cannot make a very long speech, but I will try my best. Okay, guys, I'm calling this the winning attitude, which is way too smallish of a word to describe whatever this is. But this is an attitude that defies something attempting to curb, dampen, or hinder what this man knows he is there in Milwaukee to do. I came to give a speech. That's his mindset. There are so many moments in ministry where you know God's calling on your life. You have a clear sense of what you're supposed to do and there is obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Just give up. Eric, come on. Normal humans wouldn't keep going. And what you want to say back to that is, I'm not called to be a normal human. I'm called to be super normal. I'm equipped with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God to persist, to persist, to persist, to persist, to knock, to knock, to knock until the door opens. And that is an attitude that is very rare in the world today. So here's a picture of the manuscript that was shot through. So Roosevelt says he's going to give a short speech. He is going to deliver a 90-minute speech after getting shot in the chest. With vigor and thunder, as he begins to speak, he starts out weak, and suddenly the thunder begins to come. And there's some great lines in this. Okay, guys, this is, this is the attitude right here. Teddy Roosevelt, and I don't know what a rap is. It could be a really bad curse word back in that day, but since it isn't today, as far as I know, who knows what I'm saying right now by repeating this. I give you my word, I don't care a rap about being shot. Not a rap! Isn't that a great moment? That's an incredible moment. But, but, but you were shot, sir. I don't care a rap about that. Like I said, that just must mean something like I don't care a bit, right? That's, that's what we understand. Roosevelt sends a telegram to his wife. Those are hard moments if you're the man. He's like, how do I articulate this? Teddy says, I am in excellent shape. It was only a trivial wound. It's not a particle more serious than one of the injuries any of our boys is continually having. <laughs> Letting the challenges of life roll off like water off a duck's back. You can either absorb the challenges of life like a sponge, or you can let them roll off. And the attitude makes you impermeable. The enemy can't sink his teeth or his claws into your soul. He can't disturb your peace. He can't disturb your joy. It doesn't matter what is happening around you. There is an impermeable barrier known as the grace of God that protects you. So choosing to triumph in every moment and never once yielding to the discouragement. So Teddy Roosevelt, question number seven. I've been finishing up each of these uh, sessions with a question. When John Shrank shoots a bullet into your chest, how do you respond? Now, some of you are saying, well, I mean, John Shrank is just one guy in history. I doubt that's going to ever happen. Well, metaphorically speaking, when you are hit in that moment and everything in the natural realm says you should give up, you should stop. Whatever you were planning to do, this is a time to abort. Abort. You know, hey, any reasonable person would know that. 
When you were shot in the chest by John Shrink, what do you do? Do you panic? Do you experience a paralysis? Or do you defy it? You see, there is an attitude that God desires to plant inside of us. And that is a holy confidence. I've called it the swagger of the freshly anointed. That's, that's a term I've used in the past. It's sort of like David is anointed and then a you know, lion comes in and grabs one of his sheep. For all practical purposes, guys, this is when as a shepherd you just say, you know what, it's too bad we lost one. But David is going to sprint after him, grab the lion by his you know, mane and break his jaw and say, that doesn't belong to you. Now that is the attitude right there. Do you not know who you are in Christ? Have you not been reminded lately that you are the twice born of Jehovah, that your father is in heaven, that he is all powerful and almighty and he has set your savior, your intercessor, the captain of the host at his right hand and given him all authority and you find yourself seated in heavenly places in him. All power, all authority is vested in Jesus and that is where you dwell. So when the enemy manufactures his plot, his scheme, his conspiracy to diminish your life, Remember where you sit. The attitude of heaven, the glasses of heaven, the heavenly perspective on every circumstance you will ever face. And you can smirk back. Even when all your aides are telling you you have to go to the hospital. I came here to deliver a speech. That's an amazing moment in history right there. So Teddy Roosevelt, quote number seven. Teddy putting on putting the dark cares of this life in their place. Teddy Roosevelt said this, the joy of living is his who has the heart to demand it. Such a unique quote in and of itself. There is such a joy. This man is jovial. Now it's interesting because almost every portrait we get of him, he's serious because that was the time. That's how they took pictures. It's like you have a serious face. And yet, Every cartoon of him is him with a big smile on his face. And if you ever see a cartoon of him giving a speech, he's just like all over the place. This guy was big personality, big laugh, I mean, big jovial laugh. He was a happy man. And it's interesting because this happy man was happy even in the midst of this situation. It's hard to describe how someone could go through this with joy. And yet that is actually what we are called to. Lord, whatever that is, we crave it. We desire it. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would train our souls to know how to defy, to be impermeable towards the difficulties, the challenges, the damper petals of the enemy working against us. Lord, cause us to triumph. We ask for that in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. 
Thanks for listening.